Welcome to this week's MicroConf Refresh episode of the MicroConf On Air podcast. This week we look at a talk from MicroConf 2015, and it's from yours truly. It's an inside story of self-funded SaaS growth, and it really is the story of, of taking drip from the launch days into, I believe, I'm trying to remember if the revenue was in the 30 to 40K MRR range. But basically in my prior year talk in 2014, I had told the story of launching Drip and getting it up to about that 7K range. And this is a continuation of that story, the struggles of finding product market fit. I look at all the steps we took to basically to get there. And it took, you know, whatever, eight months after launching to find it. And I have a thought process of how I went about that. And I have a revenue chart of some pretty pretty nice growth that we experienced once product market fit happened. And so obviously, if you want to see those visuals, you can click through to the YouTube description. But this is one of my more popular microconf talks because it really does look at kind of the inside story of the grind of finding product market fit. And I've seen very few other talks that really go step by step through the process and incorporate. I mean, I have text from emails that we were receiving at the time, the thought process, and and really the kind of the mental struggles that that we were going through trying to to get from this flat 7K MRR where we had churn that was too high and the trial to paid wasn't great. And then to see all the graphs go in the opposite direction. And, you know, my, my quote to Derek was, this is what product market fit looks like. And so with that, I hope you enjoy this talk, an inside story of self-funded SaaS growth. So today I'm going to be talking about the inside story of self-funded SaaS growth. Um, I didn't want to give the revenue away in this first slide because it's kind of a punchline later in the talk, but I'm going to be talking about um, how we've seen with Drip 13 months of 13% month over month growth, which adds up. And I think that started at about nine, we were at about 9,000 in revenue when we started that pace of growth. Um, whenever I consume media, I ask myself, you know, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And frankly, you guys are pretty tired and you're going to sit here for about 40 minutes. So there's going to be a lot of stuff I'm going to talk about, but three of the things that I think might give, you know, be of most interest to you. Number one is how great marketing can make you fail faster. I'm going to talk about what that means, even though it sounds counterintuitive. I'm going to talk about three things you need in order to grow and how to scale marketing and why not to scale it too soon. So this talk is, is basically a three-act talk. And it's based on this three-step marketing playbook that I now take from app to app to app. And the three steps are pretty simple. They're going to sound pretty intuitive on the, on the surface. The first one is to, is to build something people want. Okay? And Paul Graham has said this. The equivalent statement, it's, this is a synonym for finding product market fit, like I asked Jason Cohen about earlier. So this is the point where you have built something that a lot of people want to use and your churn goes down and your trial to conversion rate goes up and all the numbers start going in the right direction. So that's the first step and I posit that it's actually the hardest of these three steps. And the whole first act is going to be, the first and part of the second act are going to be about that. Second one is to find your position 
in a market. And this is something I had ignored for a long time. If you go back five years and you, write, or you listen to me on the podcast or you, you look at my writing or my book or anything, I ignored this positioning thing entirely. I was all about uh, building an app, getting some channels, getting people to come use your app, and that was it. But with, with Drip, which is a, in a bigger space, it's more competitive, I've realized the critical nature of figuring out your position and communicating it uh, very effectively. And I'm gonna talk about the process we went through to do that. And then the last step of this is to scale. And when I say scale, I don't mean, you know, uh, like Jason Cohen, WP Engine scale. I mean scale for someone like me. Jason, should I use the handheld or are we good? No, we're good? All right. Um, I mean scale for someone like me who wants to keep employee count to a minimum, who wants to scale revenue and wants to scale efforts up while not managing a large company and, and most likely not raising funding. So the, this first act, each of these acts is about 10 minutes, and I have a couple intermissions. This first act is about building something people want, and uh, in order to kick us off, I had my friends from, uh, from Vuza, I don't know if you've heard of Vuza, but they have a nice little video on how hard it is to build something people want, and this goes into uh, their, their multiple pivots. What if you could leave user reviews on members of your family? What if your photo filters had an API. And what if that API had its own photo filter? We believe in the power of iteration. We originally started off as StumbleMonkey, which was like Airbnb, but for online dating. Uh, so when you left town, you could rent out your spouse or partner. Great idea, but we found out it was illegal. So then we had to pivot. We changed our name to Gagagupta. That's with six R's. And that app was like Spotify meets Grinder, but for rental cars, but run as if it were for a hotel. And then from there, we pivoted again and formed Flipspot. That was like Instapaper meets Kickstarter and a little bit like Quora, but without the questions. And we took your credit card payments and made them animated gifts. Every startup can tell you how much you learn from failure. And if you look at how much we've failed, that's where you can see how smart we've become. We believe in radical, impactful transparency, something that we call radimparency. And that's why we're gonna bring cameras into our office and show you the process and our team as we build our app. You're gonna to get to see the best social, local, mobile, and real-time web app that's ever been built from the ground up. Watch out world, because the Vuza Volcano is about to disrupt. So go to vuza.com, they have about 30 or 40 uh, videos like that. It's kind of like the office, but in the startup space. All right, so this talks about Drip. Um, any Drip customers or trial users in the, in the room? Show of hands. Nice, good, hometown crowd. And I'm gonna talk about the kind of the journey uh, that Derek and I took building and, and launching Drip. This first act, again, is about building something people want. And if you'll recall, if you've seen my talk from last year's MicroConf, I spent 58 minutes and 15 seconds to be exact talking about building Drip. So I talked about how, to, how we validated the idea, how we built the launch list of about 3,400 people, uh, the benefit of customer development and the slow launch, 
and then how good onboarding really helped our launch and how, you know, I went through the onboarding and all that stuff. So I'm not gonna rehash all that, but that was building and that was getting to launch and at the end of that launch, revenue looked like this. We broke ground on code in December of 2012 and this graph is from January of 2013 to December of 2013. And you'll see the revenue in July was like, it was like three or 400 bucks because we were doing this slow onboarding process, slow launch. And then each month we would email you know, another 500 people or 300 people on this big ass launch list that we had. And in the end, by the time we hit December, yay, we had 7,500 in recurring revenue. That's good news. But there was a problem. And the problem you can see in this graph. Still at 7,500, and then in January we get a dip, which is not atypical for B2B apps because Christmas uh, tends to kind of wreck a bunch of stuff. February wasn't growing. March grew barely. April grew barely a little. And the problem was, it was not trial volume. It was churn and the number of people not converting from trial to paid. So it was not, my metrics were off. I still had a bunch of traffic. We still had a bunch of traffic. But thing, the numbers were not there. We were bleeding people out of the bottom of the funnel. Do you have an idea of the churn numbers? The simple churn Realistically, you should look at churn in a grid. You should look at first 60 days and then separate that from past that. But I'm just gonna say simple churn, which is everybody in your whole bucket and then divided by how many canceled. Or the other way around, uh, yeah, the, the other way around. But it's, um, it was up in the high teens. It was like 18%, all right? And realistically, you wanna get that number down closer to, even in early days, you wanna be at about 10, yeah, at about 10%, 10 to 12%. And the interesting thing, you can see it in this graph, this is the daily trial count. So I'm, no graphs in this, in this talk are gonna be of unique visitors or website traffic or anything because that, that doesn't really matter that much. It's kind of a vanity metric. Every graph you see will either be revenue or it's gonna be daily trial count or things like that. I think I have trial to paid conversion as well. So, okay, so this December 6th thing is right as the launch ended. And you'll see the trials trailed off, but that was okay because um, we expected that, right? Because we did a big launch to a huge list. And the good news about this graph is you'll notice during the holidays, it trailed down. And then right around here, we started marketing again. And sure enough, we got a nice big bulk of trials. So you'll see, you know, right here we crossed 60 trials. This is basically in a 30 day period, we had 60 trials. And up here we peaked probably around 100 trials. Now that's not gonna scale you up to a million dollar business, but for a business with a price point of 50 bucks and 99 bucks a month, that's enough to see trends, right? You can see when people are not converting and you can get start doing some, some number stuff. And this is our trial to paid conversion rate. And in this graph, we can see that right there, that was right at the end of the launch. So that was 21 days, that's December 27th, 21 days after you know, the, the initial launch. So our launch went really well. We converted, I mean, that number at the peak there is about 50%, I think it was over 50%, it was like 51% of our trials were converting to paid. That's a great number. You wanna be between 40 and 60% as a rule. And then it dropped off the face of the earth and then we bounced around. Now the, the real danger zone is here. So we get through into February and suddenly we're under 40%. And for me, that is an unacceptable level. For, for a B2B app, credit card up front, under 40% is scary and you could just, you can see it here, we're troughing here at 35 or something, you're not gonna be able to scale a business up. You may be able to get a business to 10K to 12K, but you're not gonna get a business to 40K a month or 50K without, uh, it, it, it's just gonna be really hard. You're gonna piss away a lot of time. So 
I wish I could also show you the churn graph, but we don't have historical churn numbers. I only have the previous 30 days available. Um, to give you an idea of, I've thrown out some numbers, and I wanted to have one slide where you could refer back to kind of my rules of thumb. And actually, Ruben was on the podcast uh, just last week, and we threw all of these out. So it's also on last week's episode. Oh, so at the end of the talk, I will give you a link to my slides. The one caveat I have is my plan was to upload them at lunch, and then there was something happened, and so I didn't upload them yet, but I'm going to give you a URL where they will all be maybe half an hour after I'm done talking. I'm going to just try to upload them right at the end. So these are my rules of thumb. I'm going to zip through them real quick because they're kind of dry, but if you're asking for a credit card up front, I want to see, I want to see that the visitor to trial percentages are between 0.7 and 2%. It depends on price point typically. So a smaller price, an app of 10, 20 bucks a month should be up at around one and a half to 2%. A trial to paid, like I said, I want to see 40 to 60%. And then that first 60 to 90 day churn, you're going to have a bit of a range, 20 to 40. But again, if you go, if you're over, if you're over 40, you're, that's, that's really tough. And if you're under 20, you're doing fantastic. And then for post 60 or 90 day churn, there's always a break and different, some apps have the first 60 day churn and then you see it drop way off and some have first 90 day and it drops way off. So you have to just look at your app and gauge it. And post 60 to 90, if, you're, if you get down under eight with a small bootstrap business like this, you're doing pretty good. You can't raise a venture, you know, venture funded round at that level, but you can grow a business to 40, 50K at that point with the right price points. So getting into around the five to four to seven is good. There is another David Ogilvy quote, and it's one I like. He says, great marketing only makes a bad product fail faster. And what he was saying is, if you put out a crappy, you know, if Procter & Gamble puts out a crappy tube of toothpaste and you bring me in to market this thing, it's just going to fail really fast because a lot of people are going to use it and they're not going to like it. And Drip was not a bad product. So this quote doesn't actually fit. But if we had kept going on the velocity we were, uh, spending money on some ads, investing into development, driving trials into the funnel, we would never have grown past uh, you know, 12 grand a month or just, just some number that wasn't enough, right? So my quote is, if you haven't built something people want, great marketing will only make you fail faster. Okay, if you haven't hit product market fit yet, stop marketing and go in, and work on operation retention. You want to figure out why people are churning. You want to figure out why they're not converting initially. And you want to go after that. Um, two years ago, I did a, a whole talk on that from MicroConf 2013. Uh, you can also watch how I did, approach this exact same problem. This is very, very common. Exact same problem with Hittail and how I, I attacked it there. So what we did with Drip, because we're at a point now where it's like, all right, we're churning out too many people and not enough for converting. What do we do? So instead of adding the, typically add a text box when someone's canceling, I, we went with a different approach. And instead of, I, I've kind of taken the, the opinion that when someone's canceling, they're in a kind of a hurry and they want to just get out and they often just type ASDF, boom, and they're done. What I've started doing is sending them an email using Drip, right? So Drip was using Drip and it would say, someone just canceled, it would throw an event. And then about 20 to 30 minutes later, you'd get an email that says, a quick question. And this is another one of those, kind of a, a this is a Joanna Weeb headline, right? Um, Hi, I was hoping you could spare 15 seconds of your time and let me know why you decided to cancel. Even if you only have a few minutes, it can only give me a few words, please do it. And I have a PS and everything. Um, and it says, Rob, founder of Drip. So it looks really like it comes from me. And, and it does, I wrote it. And we got a lot of good feedback 
from this. And when I say good, I mean helpful, not necessarily good about the product. So we get a lot of feedback like this. It's a clean looking and feeling tool. And we kept hearing that because the UX is good. You know, it's, it's, like a, it's an easy to use tool. And we, we spent a lot of time on that. We kept getting, it's a clean looking and feeling tool, but it is a bit too pricey for what it does. We got this, loved the product, but unfortunately the pricing is way too high for what we'd be using it for. Great product, but I didn't really see much difference from MailChimp and the price wasn't competitive enough. So there's two things you could, you know, we got hundreds of these, so this is just a sampling of three. You get them all over the map and you kind of have to group them into categories. These three and others like it made me think, all right, we have two choices. Our pricing is $49.99 and it goes up from there. We can either lower pricing because everybody says we're too expensive, or we can build more features and figure out how to make our product worth the price we are charging, okay? And I call this aspirational pricing. And I'm kind of a fan of this idea now of getting people in and figuring out how to get them to be willing to pay a certain amount. I think productized consulting is a good example of that. It's figuring out what someone will do to pay you know, like Patrick was saying, 500 a month or 2,500 a month. Um, and so that's what we did. So we set out to then find out, okay, everybody was, not everybody, but some people were saying it's too expensive. Now, what's interesting is, you know, if you look at it technically, we had built something that some people wanted because we had 7,500 in recurring revenue. We had 125-ish customers paying us. So I knew that we had something, but it wasn't enough for the broader market, right? It was like two-thirds of people don't want this. And then you have one-third of people really happy. So we're trying to figure out what do we need to build to keep that other two-thirds or as much of it as we can. And that was the next thing. So then people would email and say, uh, the feedback I showed you, right, too pricey, and I'd reply. And that's kind of the cool thing about this approach is it instantly opens a dialogue. You just, they just give you feedback, and it's now a conversation. Hey, yeah, totally. It's, you know, I... I won't say I agree with you, but I would say, hey, um, yeah, sorry to hear that. What, what do you need? What did you expect? What would make this worth 50, you know, 50 bucks and 99 bucks? And we got feedback like this. Again, it's all over the map, but here's a few sample. These are actual customer replies. I'm so, or canceled customer replies. I'm so tired of having people on multiple lists, receiving duplicate emails, and having to hit my provider's API to work around their lack of automation. I'd like automation rules, like Infusionsoft Office Autopilot. I'd like tags and a rules engine. And I had no idea really what most of these things meant. This is 15 months ago. And I was like, Derek and I talked, and I was like, what is this rules engine thing, people? A behavioral email? This is so irritating. This is not what we built. That's not, not our vision for the product, right? So the way we filtered this, and this is how I'd recommend doing this, is you're going to get a bunch, bunch of comments, hundreds of, of comments if you get in these conversations from customers. And the first thing you're going to have to do is filter them through your gut. You're going to have to say, is this within my vision? And is my vision going to get me where I want to go? And I started realizing that my initial vision of the product may not get me where I wanted revenue to be. Then when I took that, that once you filter it through your gut, then it's time to talk to someone else. I'm going to say my mastermind because that's who I went and talked to. Um, I also talked with, with Derek, who's uh, my technical co-founder, actually. Derek, uh, someone may want to ask me about that later, but where is Derek? Are you here? Yeah, all right. So here in the back. Um, and you filter it through an advisor, 
through a, a technical co-founder, through a mastermind group, through somebody who somebody else who has a stake in this or who has a stake in your success. All right. So this is this is what we did, and these are really the I have two or three questions here that we said: Do we build these features like this rules thingy, or don't we? And the first one was: Does it fit into my vision of the product? Second one is: Will this feature matter in two years? Because you got a bunch of features that was like. Let's add a hyperlink to this. Let's add a button here. Let's add an option for this. And it's like, you know, that's not going to move the needle yet. We need to do something big to turn the table. And the third question was, is this going to grow the business? And so that's what we set out to do. Um, this was about three, about 60 days or 90 days of just constant asking, should we build this? Should we build this? Filtering, asking opinions, thinking about it. How hard is this going to be to build? And we eventually did say we're going to build this rules engine. Now, in the end, if you know the story of Drip, a rules engine is really, it, the, the right word for it is probably marketing automation. Right? That's kind of the, the correct position for it, but I didn't know that at the time. And so what was interesting is we started building the rules engine. We started building one rule at a time, and we rolled them out. And we, we literally saw revenue do this. And so this, if you recall, the other one ended in April, okay? Where it was just, it was maybe 8,000, right? So it was just a little bit ahead of, uh, of December. And then as we rolled, we started pushing it out in April, pushed more out in May, more out in June, and suddenly by July, almost at 11,000. That feels good, right? We're starting to feel good. But I was kept thinking like, yeah, but is it because we have more trials? And it wasn't until recently that I went back, it was, I was putting this talk together, and this is our trial count during that period. Exact same period that revenue went up. This is from the end of February till June. The trials literally fell in half, right? I mean, you're up at about 100 here, and then you're down to about, I don't know, 60, 50 or 60. And yet, revenue was going up. Why was revenue going up? Because all the other numbers, churn, going down. Trial to paid, going up. And when the numbers are doing that, you don't need more trials uh, to make more money, right? So we suddenly started retaining people, and that's when we knew that we had built something that people wanted. That was when I first caught the first glimpse of product market fit. I won't say we were totally there. We didn't, you know, you know bottom out in, in terms of churn like some big VC-funded companies do, but it's a spectrum. Product market fit is. Building something people want is a spectrum. And I knew we'd built something that more people wanted than just those initial hundred who were paying us. So the next step is uh, finding the, your position. And we spent quite a bit of time figuring this out. And I'm going to talk about it after this intermission. This uh, is a bit of a non sequitur, but it's uh, from HBO's Silicon Valley. It's about a 60-second clip. And it's about the challenges of finding a good name for your product. This guy here is the founder, and he named their startup Pied Piper. Not great news. We love the name Pied Piper. It's a classic fairy tale. Well, I looked it up. It's about a predatory flautist who murders children in a cave. It has all that going for it, Richard, and I still hate it. Richard, if we are going to change the name, we need to do it now. Name stick. My name's only Jared because Gavin called me that on my first day. My real name is Donald. But Jared, we already bought the t-shirts. I can't take these back. It was an online order. What is that atrocity? What are we, an Irish pornography company? I thought we were going to replace the name Pied Piper. I thought it was just a placeholder. Placeholder would honestly be a better name than Pied Piper. Richard, I've actually been holding off telling people that I'm the co-founder of Pied Piper because, frankly, it's a little embarrassing. 
Okay, well, um, just to remind you, you, you are, are not the co-founder, so please don't tell anyone. Richard, take Aviato. That's not a name that I found. It's a name that found me on a vision quest. Something that you should do. No, no, I'm not going to eat a bunch of drugs and sit out in the desert and hope some name randomly pops in my head. Well, then I question your leadership. All right. You watch more on HBO now. Okay, so act two is finding your position. So I'm certainly not an expert in positioning. There's a lot to be said on it, but uh, once we... Once we found this position and I saw how well it worked, I realized it's super, super important. The key of positioning is to just be different in your market, right? So you could come in and you could say, all right, we're an email marketing app. And that could be your headline, email marketing app. So someone comes and they say, the first question is, how are you different, right? How are you different in the market? And there's really three approaches that, that I've seen people do to find their position, or be different, I should say. The first one is to invent a category. So 10, 12 years ago, Marketo and Pardot, they invented this category of marketing automation. No one had ever heard that word before, and they spent millions upon millions of dollars defining that category because no one knew what it meant. 20 years ago, there was no email marketing, right? There was no email marketing software. Someone invented that. My guess is it was constant contact or eye contact, and they raised millions and millions of dollars because when you invent a category, it is really expensive. So probably not an option for most people in this room, definitely not an option for me. The second uh, approach, and which I think is the optimal approach, is to take a position inside an existing category. And then the last one is to, I see this all the time, and this is what I was trying to do for about three months in my notebooks, is to compare features or to have your headline be a list of what you do rather than your position in the market. So I think I already said this, inventing your own category, invent it if you have millions of dollars or many years to invest. And features, in essence, what I've seen is they make you either a commodity or they confuse your users. Whereas positioning is a defensible corner of a market that you get in, and then no matter what features other people build, they always remember that you are the, you know, the lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck, or you are the fastest, you're the high-performance WordPress host. There are a bunch, there, someone could come out today with a WordPress hosting that was exactly, every feature for feature, it was WP Engine. But I will always, and most people here will always think, yeah, WP Engine, it's the fast WordPress host because that's their value prop, and that's a position they took very early in the market and they repeated it over and over. And I just said the punchline of that slide, sorry. Um, Close.io has done this. Okay, Steli, you'll hear from him tomorrow. Close.io didn't come out and invent a category. There has been sales, uh, outbound sales and CRM software before, right? They came on the scene and they said, never, never enter your, never log your calls or emails again. And that's the position they took, right? Now, if you're not a salesperson, you're like, what does that mean? And that's exactly the point. Like, if you're a salesperson, you know that logging calls and emails sucks. And I will always think of Close.io, even if they try to change positioning later, which is pretty hard to do, I will think of them as the guys who allow you to make the calls and send the emails through the app. And that's their position. That's their difference. And bare metrics, Josh is here in the room. Um, you know, if I were to say, before I flip this up, if I said, all right, who can think of, you know, what's like one-click SaaS analytics for Stripe? Anyone? Anyone? Like 80% of the people in this room would have said bare metrics. There are other one-click SaaS analytics providers for Stripe, but he got in there first, okay? So this is what I was trying to do. We had built something people wanted, and I'm trying to figure out, how do we describe what Drip is now? It's email marketing with this rules engine. So could my headline be email marketing plus rules engine? And I was 
writing shit like this that was, was awful. Drip, drip is the best way to send emails to your prospects, trial users, and customers based on who they are and what they do. And I literally suggested this as a headline. And a friend of mine in my mastermind group said, do not put that on that. I will quit this mastermind group if you do that. The next one, this is even worse, email remarketing. Talk about inventing a category. This is literally in a notebook I have. This is email remarketing tool that will increase your conversion rate from blah, blah, blah. You stopped listening already because it's way too long and no one cares. And this is, uh, you know, things from my notebook. Epic email automation. Email automation. What is that? No one knows what it is because I made it up. Behavioral email. These are all things that I was trying to find a way to not be part of the, of the crowd because I was trying to separate myself and make myself so different that... I couldn't be grouped in with the MailChimps or the Infusionsofts. And I realized in the end that this was a, it was a mistake. And if I had moved forward with this, I don't think we'd be anywhere near where we are today. I think we'd probably be at about, my guess, maybe half the revenue because the positioning has, has done us a lot. I still see this. This is a headline of a, it's not a competitor, direct competitor of ours, but someone in the space. This is the headline on their homepage. Customer engagement made easy, customer users, subscribers, they're all people, and then it's basically record, segment, automate. And I've seen this company and a few others in these spaces who have not latched onto an existing category, because really what, there should be just a category that these guys should be able to kind of put in there. And instead they're explaining what they do. It's almost a feature list or it's a, here's what we do. And it's, they tend to, as we go back to these these websites, we see them change every three weeks, every month. They're continuing. I mean, for like two years, we've done this, Derek and I. And you keep seeing, it's like, man, they, they haven't really found what works for them yet. You know? And I think, and I'm not going to act like I know everything, but I think that if they latched onto an existing uh, category and then built out a corner of it, they'd, they'd be better off. And this is versus an app like Marketo, which you haven't heard of them, they're best-in-class marketing automation software. And if you know what that means, then those four or five words say more, far more, than that entire large paragraph of a bunch of stuff up there that not many people are going to read. So that was my epiphany, and that was like 90 days of thinking and talking to people. So the choices as I saw it were we were either uh, going to do the whole compare features thing and do the big block of here's what we do and we nurture and retain and we're email remarketing, or we were going to call ourselves an email marketing tool plus automation, or become marketing automation. And I really was against this because it's a very enterprisey enterprise uh, idea, and the marketing automation tools that most people think of are, someone call one out, Marketo, Eloqua, Silverpot, ooh, that's a new one. Infusionsoft, right, and uh, Entreport. And for me, that felt like, well, I don't want to go, I don't want to be in that group. Like, that's not who we are. Our UX is too good. I don't want to be thought of as this crummy old software, right? So I got in, I'm on my mastermind call. I'm pitching all of that to the, my two guys, Jeff from Ambassador, who's here in the audience, and Ruben from BitSketch. So we do a call every two weeks, and I say, all right, guys, here's all my stuff. Here's my notes. I showed them all the headlines. And they were both kind of like, eh, I don't know about it. And Jeff eventually was just like, are you joking? He's like, why don't you just say, why don't you just say your lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck and make that your headline? And so we did. <laughs> and, um, and it A-B tested, it split tested really well. And suddenly that was one more thing that uh, our old explanation did not cover. And any series of sentences and features and all that stuff could not communicate what we were any better than these, what is that, six words. And we haven't changed the headline to date. Now, I haven't done a lot of split testing, but it still converts quite 
well. So for us, we carved out a corner of an existing market. Right? We didn't invent a category. We just said we're the ones. I didn't want to be grouped with the other guys in it, you know, because it feels like they're big enterprise software. And so that's exactly what we did: is we grouped ourselves with them, but kind of over here. This is how we're different from them. So that when you first come to our website, you think, what is this tool? Oh, it's marketing automation. Well, I've kind of heard of that. And then you look and you say, well, how are these guys different than Infusionsoft, Marketo, and Pardot then? And right in the copy, it's a long-form sales letter. If you go to getdrip.com, you can read. We just spell it out. So that was Act 2. And I'm going to wrap up with Act 3, which is about scaling up. Because once we had built something people wanted and they weren't churning out, and we had this headline that now converted quite a few people and got a lot of interesting peop interested people into the product. It was, kind of, I won't say it was a slam dunk because it still worked, but this is, in my opinion, actually the easiest of the three. This is blocking and tackling. Like these are tactics, right? And this is stuff that a lot of us in here have done successfully. I did it in, uh, with Hittail. I've done it with a number of other products. And so um, this is the fun part. I'm going to kind of zip through a few of them, but. I will show you this. This is kind of this funny initial projection I had in a marketing plan. Um, when you get a chance and you get the slides afterwards, just take a peek at it. The numbers are actually not far off. So we did not hit, the goal is, was to hit, this is pre-launch, I wrote this, 20,000 in monthly recurring revenue six months after launch. That was my internal goal. We didn't hit that because of this whole learning phase that we had to go through, right, of the positioning and the rebuilding and blah, blah, blah. But if you're thinking about building a B2B app, look at these numbers because you know, they're not too far off. Like, I was picking middle of the road of my ranges, and things wind up being pretty close to that. So it's just a little helpful, helpful thing if you're interested. So this, this is the end result. This is, this is the money slide right here. So, oh, it almost cut it off, too. Yeah, thank you. And so, you know, to give you, again, the time frame, like, this was launch, and that seemed like a lot of revenue. And then we, we kind of did the whole build something people want until it was right around May-ish. And then the next 60 days was finding positioning. And that's right in July at the end is when you know, we relaunched. It was called Drip 2.0. And then that, that started kind of stepping stuff up. And you can really see the three phases. I've talked about this in, in well, several times. But when, you, when you're, you're going to build an app from scratch, or if you're gonna buy and rehab an app, you're gonna go through three phases. The building phase, which is when you're writing code, which always takes too long. And then the learning phase, which is a lot of what I just talked about. Learning is figuring out what to build, finding product market fit, building something people want, figuring out your positioning. And then there's a point where you scale it up. Now, if you try to scale it up during this learning phase, you will lose your shorts. Like, you will spend money and you will not get the customers. Revenue will not grow because you bleed them out. So, the, yeah, so that's it. Um, now I'm going to talk about kind of the steps. This is blocking and tackling. Like, nothing here is going to be surprising. There's no whiz-bang thing. It's just doing all of these things and executing on them. The first thing that I always do when I'm going to set up a site is get a, you know, an email marketing course, start collecting addresses. Even if you can only build a list of 1,000 or 2,000 people, it's crazy the number of trials you can get when you launch new features, when you uh, do a webinar, when you announce, have anything interesting to announce, and when you have blog posts and such. So that's the first step. The second step I always do is get retargeting in. I use Perfect Audience. There's AdRoll. There's a bunch of other providers. I've just used these guys for years. They're, they were a YC company. So those were the first two things. 
the next thing I did is the same playbook. This is, should sound familiar, and I hope it does, because I've been talking about this same playbook, moving from app to app to app, and that shows you just how repeatable this process is, okay? So concentric circle marketing, in short, is first you communicate what you have to your audience, then you move out one circle to your colleagues or your friends. You could say friends or your network or whatever word you want to use, but this is my professional colleagues who I know, a lot of you, them from MicroConf, and I could come on their podcasts and, and do integrations with their apps and that kind of stuff. And then the third is the, uh, the cold audience, right? This is actually like cold, like paid advertising, people who've never heard of you, you have no warm connection to. And so those are the three rings that I go out. And the innermost one is easier to convert. And then the second one is, uh, you know, a little harder. And then cold is, that's, that's where you scale up, but it's where it's hardest to convert. So circle one, I think I only did two or three things. Um, Right when we relaunched as Drip 2.0, I wrote two blog posts. One for my personal blog, Software by Rob, the other one for the Drip blog. And you'll notice neither of them mentions anything about new features, neither of them mentions a, uh, any specifics. They are both, or any specifics of like what we had built or what we had done. They were both aimed really tightly at the audience. So my Software by Rob is about you know, all this stuff, right, that we're talking about. It's similar to the podcast. So the biggest gamble of your career, and I go down how, you know, that we were entering this really hard market and the story of getting there. And then the other one is kind of a, it's my manifesto. It was on the drip blog, and it's, I believe we are, I'm pushing, I'm putting all my chips in on that marketing automation is the future of email marketing. That's what I communicated in this post. And here's why you should care, and here's why you should be using this ASAP, okay? And, and they did pretty well. Um, I spent about 16 hours writing the two of them. I had a, between a couple lists, I had about 17,000 people, which is always good. When you have really good content, at least I, I really tightened those up. They're pretty good. Um, it does okay. And so you'll see, that's the day I sent the email to the 17,000. And so trials, you know, now that I have this really tight conversion rate and we're not churning people out, we went from, the scales cut off, I think, is that 100? I can't even, oh, that's 50 and that's 100. So. You know, we had been hanging around 50, 60, and then we went up to almost 200 trials over the course of that, and then kind of leveled out over 100, about 120. So that was a really nice increase, and that was that first initial increase you saw in July and August. Second thing I did for my audience is Derek and I had recorded a 15-minute call every week for nine months, and I edited that down. It was like nine hours of video or audio, and I edited it down in two hours, and then I published it. And again, this is not going to scale you up to infinity, but um, it got about, it's at about 4,000, between four and 5,000 unique listens at this point. And uh, I don't know how well it worked, but it was kind of fun to do, and it was, it was easy enough. Circle two, um, I knew some folks who work for some companies because I come to MicroConf. And so, you know, talked to Gumroad and Josh at Kickoff Labs, and I happen to know Wade at, uh, from, at Zapier from somewhere else, and then Member Mouse works in our building. And over the course of a couple months, we built some integrations, and this goes back to integration marketing. It's a concept of doing, writing really kick-ass integrations that provide value to your customers and their customers, and then both telling your customers about it. And if you can get an email sent to the Zapier list, the Zapier, I guess how they pronounce, Zapier list of 60,000 or 70,000 people, you're gonna have a good day. And so that's, that's what we did here. And I wanna underscore that this is, not, um, this is not a tactic of building a crappy integration and then expecting everyone to promote you. Like we spent a lot of time on these things and built them out well. 
And just as a footnote, integration marketing is something that I stole uh, from Ruben Gomez of BidSketch. He was the first guy I ever saw do this, and it works. We now have 21 integrations with Drip. The other way that uh, I talked to colleagues was there's a bunch of podcasts. And this, I had already done a podcast tour for Drip in its first incarnation. I wasn't going to do it again. And um, some dudes started contacting me. So John McIntyre from the McMethod, guys from Growth Hacker TV, WP Elevation, uh, Brian and Jordan who are in the audience. And then other folks contacted me just to publish stuff. Because the more you get out there, the more people want to hear your voice or they want to put a quote from something or they want to use your Dunning emails, which is you know what, what Stunning did. And that's cool. The more you're out there, you're just going to start spreading, right? So last few slides is about cold audiences and what we did to then branch out into that third concentric circle. Uh, one is we publish a new blog post on the Drip blog every week, and I have a company who helps me do that. I don't write them myself, but I work tight with them to define the headlines, and these things work. I mean, you'll see that, yeah, there's only 11 tweets, 11 tweets, 27 LinkedIn shares. It's for the cost, it's a no-brainer, and this gives us an excuse to email our list. And it's, yeah, you know, it's essentially content marketing, you could call it, but it's also just providing value to the audiences that, that use Drip. So that's been a big win for us. And the other one is we do have a little bit of a viral element. This has not brought as many trials as I thought it might, um, but we do have a Powered by Drip link in that. If you can do that, if you have an option to do it for your, you know, with your customers, it, it, helps, it helps you grow. The more you grow, then the more you grow, right? That's how virality works. The other thing we did, aside from Gumroad here, these are all cold emails that I sent. So I cold emailed Stripe and Unbounce and PayPal and DPD and Recurly and Chargeify. And some of them played ball with us. We integrated with all of them because our customers wanted these integrations. But some of them, like Chargeify, published blog posts about it and emailed their list. So this is just integration marketing taken, taken out one more circle, right? It's the people I didn't know. It's just cold emailing. And I think lastly, yeah. Last, last thing that we've done that's really worked is uh, still doing SEO. It's a lot harder, a lot more expensive, and it doesn't work as well. You know, drip marketing software, if you go search for it, we are the number one organic result in Google. So why are there three listings above us? Because Google's kind of screwing everybody now. So it doesn't work as good as it used to. But it does work, right? None of these individual things accounts for more than 10% of our trials. We just have a lot of things going on. And this, like I said, it's blocking and tackling. It's the same approach, same marketing plan I had for Hittail, and I just copied it over and started modifying things for Drip. So interesting just to note, as I think this is my last slide or second to last, things we haven't done um, that I have done in prior products, but just haven't had time for really, and yet we're still you know, where the revenue is. But by the way, please, if you haven't already, I should have mentioned, please don't tweet out my revenue or like post that anywhere right now. I've just... I'll let it out eventually, but I kind of like to give stuff to microconf folks, and I'm not super comfortable with the whole world knowing what my revenue is, so um, if you could oblige me. Uh, things we haven't done are, I just haven't done any split testing, aside from that initial headline. I brought someone on who will be starting in a few weeks to help me with that, but haven't had time. We have done zero, aside from that initial push way back, you know, over a year ago when I was trying to market and it wasn't working, haven't done any paid acquisition at all. And we need to. That's another channel. I know we could scale this thing up. Haven't done any webinars, really want to, aside from getting invited to do a few for some other people. Haven't done an AppSumo deal, which I did with Hittail and worked really well, but uh, yeah, I talked to Noah Kagan and he said that Drip is a little too high, like too higher, yeah, it's too high a price for his folks and they're a little more beginner beginner audience. And the last one is outbound email. I did hire a firm to do it. 
for three months. We spent quite a bit of money, and the scale wasn't there. They were getting us a good solid 10 or 12 leads, you know, for several thousand bucks a month. Well, at the scale, I mean, 10 or 12 trials even wouldn't move the needle, and that wasn't 10 or 12 trials. It was 10 or 12 leads that hopefully I could get a few of them to convert. So for now, we're kind of, you know, backing away from that. So to wrap up, this is the three steps. You really have to nail all three. If we hadn't built something people wanted, I would say drip would be, as a guess, maybe 12 grand today, 12 grand a month, maybe 15 if we just kept pushing on it. But I'd be so pissed off, you know, I'd be so frustrated because you're just not growing. If you don't find your position, I think we'd be between 15 and 20 probably. The, the position, it's a defensible position and it's really worked for us. And then of course, if you can't block and tackle, then you're not gonna see the scale part of it. So that's it. Thanks for joining me again this week as we refresh another microconf talk from the vault. Join me again next week, same time, same place, and we'll be looking at another talk from our popular playlist, Building Your First SaaS Company. If you haven't already subscribed to us on YouTube, you can head to youtube.com slash microconf, and I'd recommend it. I mean, we're pushing out videos both from microconf on air and videos from future events as we're able to, uh, as we're able to have those, those events at some point. So thanks again for joining me this week. I'll talk to you next time.